0: Thank Gene uh, and Al and their wives, and others, enough for all that they do for this class. And that guy, Michael Kerr, who's been behind the scenes for years and years, we go way back. And Mike is, all of us, getting used to all this marvelous equipment, and we're not used to it. So we're, we're going to get used to it over time, and uh, after the Lord's return, it won't matter, so don't worry for now we're great we have no idea why the lights went off and then and then came on but here but here they are someone here must have had a really bad attitude you got it straightened out and now it's just the fun of being in a new facility just enjoy the adventure it's marvelous the problems we have are just delightful nothing to worry about Um, I have Jeannie Falth's watch do you know Jeannie? Uh, I, I, there's no clock in here and I, I haven't worn a watch in years and years and years so I have Jeannie's watch and she left so I have this I'm going to give it to my wife as a gift <laughs> <laughs> I need the points Jeannie will understand so anyway but we're going to get we're going to get a. these are all the fun things we're going to get one of those things that you put over here and Neither Chuck nor I will pay any attention to it, but it it will be... We could do that, you bet. Um, Vacation Bible School is happening tomorrow, and it will be in our old, still really fine facility. We're holding off on moving VBS here this year because we want to work out all the things before we bring such a crowd of little kids and so they'll be in the building there. And um, we really need help in a particular area. And our classes, uh, Brother Chuck's classes and mine, the three, have really, really stepped up to the plate in this particular area. And we really need help once again. It's Wednesday night. It's to be a decision counselor for the children who are on the verge of seeing who the Lord Jesus is, what he has done for them, and inviting him into their lives and for this we need many, many, many decision counselors because many, many children will need a good adult to speak with. In the classes that the children attend, the the message of redemption will be explained by the ministers of the church and others Uh, and then thereafter we want them to sit with an adult in the event they have questions and so on and so forth. If you've never done this before, I tell you all the more reason to do it. And if you have done it, please do it again. Here's what will happen. If you sign up, and we hope you do, on sheets that look like this, which are at the table outside. We haven't been too successful in (laughs) passing things around, so we have it at the table. It's a sign-up sheet for decision counseling Wednesday night. If you come here Wednesday night, and go to the old building, room 132, 133. It's in the hallway where the bookstore used to be. 132, 133. Rhonda Black, our minister to children, will be there at 5.30, and she will give you orientation. Everything you need to know. The schedule, uh, she'll give you materials. You don't have to bring anything. That will be from 5.30 to 6. There'll be uh, different times during the evening when your services will be necessary. And the last phase is about 8.45. We know it's late, but we really, really need decision counselors to stick around. We'll have a big uh, session in the old auditorium, and our pastor will give an invitation to the children who we will then escort into the Connection Center And we would love it if you could be there to counsel with them at that point. That final session is with older children, 4th, 5th, and 6th graders. But other age groups will be ministered to during the evening. So if you can come at 5.30, we hope you can, Uh, go to room 132, 133, and you'll receive all the instructions you need. If you're running late, and many are, it's tough in Houston, uh, please... um, Do not disqualify yourself. If you miss the 5.30 meeting, when you get here, just go to the Connection Center. That also was in the old building. If you were seated in the auditorium and facing forward, it's the beautifully decorated room just to the right of the auditorium. If you go there, Brother Chuck will be there at any time you arrive to assist you in the same way Rhonda did. We'll give you the schedule. and send you out and about you won't be alone you'll you will be uh, with others and uh, I, I see joe here and i wonder joe could i call upon you to share what you shared in a prior class about this whole thing Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. So we do all encourage you, and we do not have a sufficient number of decision counselors uh, at this point, and we really want no no child to have to wait for too long a period a time. It'll be a delightful time. So Wednesday, five thirty, uh, if you're able to come, we hope you can. Um, as uh, Jean mentioned, the new hour starting time for this hour is eleven fifteen. So you're welcome at any time because the prior class will be dismissed at 10.45. So that's a 30-minute gap. You can come in Good. here and sit, but you need not rush through the hallways to get here. Uh, we used to start at 11. We're starting at 11.15. So uh, we'll try to shoot for that time. And I want to uh, – I hope this is okay. Is Mac, are you here? Where is Mac Kimbrough? Mac is a great uh, member of this class and church and of the body of Christ. And uh, Mac's uh, wonderful mom uh, passed away when, brother? Friday. Uh, Friday, and she would have been today 101 years old. And uh, it's a magnificent joy and but also you understand this don't you many have been there one mom she's gone he knows where that's not the issue but he's here and other family members so I wonder if you would join me in praying we i met max's wonderful brother a couple weeks ago he visited with us are there other siblings i asked you but i don't remember we have a younger sister and sister Well, we love you, Mac, and uh, we're glad that your mom is well, and now we wait our turn, and we should pray. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for life which you have given and value and prize. So this dear lady's departure was not taken lightly by you, was it? Thought through, determined right on time. Yours, not ours, yours. Thank you so much. Thank you for persuading us, even on a level deeper than our thoughts, our mind. Thank you for persuading us in our hearts that there's life beyond the grave in one place or another, with you or apart from you. Thank you, she's with you. Uh, The family is relieved, I'm sure, in some sense and grieving in another. That's the way it is. So in that area of need, we beseech you to provide comfort. Uh, I pray they would take strength, the siblings and others, uh, in one another's company, honoring their dear mom by loving on one another more than ever. Father, give special grace, details, decisions, a homegoing service. All the rest, thank you for Mac lending him to us here, Lord Jesus. And somehow we pray you would be glorified through all that transpires in the days ahead in the Kimbrough family. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we could still pray even in a big class, huh? Yeah, we have to pray. Today's lesson is about prayer. I didn't choose it, the Lord did. It's in Luke chapter 18. That's where we are, Luke chapter 18. I'll give you a chance to turn there. One day, maybe, we'll use these screens. There's screens in here and projectors and stuff. They're scary to me. (laughs) (laughs) But maybe one day, we'll we'll make use of them. Maybe have something up there that's helpful to you. Who knows? Or maybe not. We'll see. Right now we're grateful for lights. <laughs> the screen is an option. These screens are good, don't you think? You know they're electric. You push a button and they go up and down, but we don't know which button. <laughs> so leave them alone. Keep your hands off. You're staying down. This is really good. So, you know, when your mind wanders and stuff, you know, when Brother Chuck is teaching, you could look out. <laughs> Some things never change, huh? (laughs) So look at Luke chapter 18. It's wonderful. Look, now he, who is the he? Yeah, the Lord Jesus. He was telling them, who is the them? The The disciples. You're correct. And we can prove it because the text that preceded Luke 18 is Luke 17, and at the end of Luke 17, where we left off, the Lord is engaged in conversation with, not the Pharisees in this case, the disciples. So we know that discourse is continuing here. The, the audience is the same. He's speaking. They're listening. The Lord was telling them a parable. But what is a parable? It's a, kind of like a, story. a story, Brenda says. She's correct. Any other thoughts about it? A parable will try to get a sense of what we're about to deal with. Let me ask you this question. Is a parable a story that need be factually true? Right. It does not have to. It's a figure of speech. It has a truth, and our job is to find it and not get too bogged down in the details Someone in the last class, I love this, and I wish I said this, but I didn't. So I have to, I hate this. I have to give someone else credit. Uh, This person said, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. You hearing anything? Good, I'm relieved. I thought it was me. You know, by the third hour, you start hearing things. Oh, I'm so relieved. So it's an earthly story, but with a heavenly message, and that's what we want to find in it. What we're about to read could have happened, but whether it did or not is not the issue. What it communicates in a creative way is what's at stake. Why would the Lord just not use clear language Well, because he's a master communicator and teacher. And figures of speech oftentimes have a deeper impression. We use them all the time, you know. Two heads are better than one. People who live in glass houses shouldn't. These are figures that are not literal. Two heads are not better than one. Can you imagine how grotesque that would be? Good night, you ladies. Takes you an hour to comb the hair on the one head you got. Can you imagine two? So figures of speech. So this is a parable. And here is what it says. Uh, To show that at all times they, disciples, them, you, me, they at all times ought to pray and not to lose heart. So when I read this I thought but wait. What does this have to do with anything? I mean prayer is important. I get it. But where's the connection to what preceded it? If you recall that the end of Luke 17, we spoke about the second coming of the Lord. His disciples had questions about it. He said, I'll tell you about conditions on earth before I come. It was not a pretty picture that he painted. He said, it's going to be bad, worse than it is now. And then I'll return. That's the conversation. Now we jump into this parable about prayer, which begs the question, why? So let me suggest this. Tell me if this suits you, and if not, just leave it behind. The Lord came already once. The first time he came enfleshed, looked essentially like you and I. In other words, reduced himself to ones like you and I, except for the fact he had no sin. He did this for the purpose of suffering and dying after living here and so on uh, in our place. So he came as the Lamb of God, sacrificial, substitutionary Lamb. Second coming will be entirely different. He will not come as Lamb of God. He will come as Lion of Judah, a lamb and a lion. More figures of speech communicate totally different things. Nobody fears a lamb, but the lion conjures up all kinds of other emotions. You see, the second time he'll come to judge the earth and deliver those to those who will be with him forever. It will be rather dramatic. You won't have to guess about it. So he says, look, if someone says there's a savior-like figure over there, there's a Messiah-like figure over there, they don't believe them. I'm coming in the clouds, trumpets, angels. It's going to be rather clear. Now, here's the deal. In between that first coming and second coming, we live. Therefore, you can call yourself an in-betweener. That's who you are. That's who I am. We are in-betweeners. We are living in between his first and second coming. We have reckoned on his first coming, I hope correctly, and therefore we do not fear his second coming. If we're right about the purpose of his first coming, you came as sacrificial lamb to suffer and die for my sin. If we're right about his first coming, we look forward with great anticipation and enthusiasm to his second coming. Those of us, therefore, who are his disciples, no less than these who he is speaking to, are therefore living in between these two marvelous events, and it's not easy. Though we be saved, fully redeemed... The burdens of an increasingly hostile, corrupt, godless world are upon us. We're in-betweeners. Values are changing like never before. Perspectives, world views. America is post-Christian for sure. It's a different place than the one in which you grew up in. Things are sweeping at a rapid clip on an international scale, you are stuck in the middle, like parentheses, the first one being his first coming, and the second, his second coming. Now, in this state of being in between, you and I are in danger of caving in. We could give in to the prevailing atmosphere, polluted though it may be, of the day. You cannot avoid it for crying out loud. A number of us are going to be tempted to say, I can't beat them, therefore, why not join them? So you watch, as I have so many times said, uh, House Hunters, for instance, which is just a a generally good show, House Hunters. It's not on 3 o'clock in the morning when everyone's sleeping. It's not on uh, adult-only television, is it? It's House Hunters, primetime TV. You watch it, and if you watch carefully, you're going to be hard-pressed to find. It's usually couples looking for a place to stay. You're going to be hard-pressed to find a couple consisting of a male, a female, and the two are married before they buy the house. You're going to find all kinds of permutations you'll find two males or two females, or you'll find a male and a female who are trying each other on for size before they make the commitment of marriage. It's odd. And, as I say, this is not on restricted, uh, late-night adult TV. The children are being exposed to this. We're being exposed to it. So I see two people of the same gender. It's catching on. It's authorized. It's encouraged for them to marry in certain places today, including including the Oval Office. I find myself, you find yourself, if we're not careful, saying, and what's really wrong with it? Two consenting adults, they delight in each other. It's a monogamous relationship, they're not promiscuous. And this deal of this guy and this gal living together for a while, isn't that a good idea before they get married? That will surely possibly cut down on the, on the divorce rate. I mean, if they split up before they marry, you don't have a divorce. I mean, the number one cause of divorce is marriage. Did you know that? <laughs> you don't get married, there's no divorce. So you should find yourself doing, you know, you say, say all these things. You start thinking about abortion you start saying <laughs> those young people a gal who's now pregnant she's in no position to have a baby she is a baby how is she going to make it she will be she will not be a contributing member of society she's trying to be in school but she can't be in school if she has the baby and oh yeah it's a mistake and all the rest but why compound the mistake by forcing her to have the baby and thus make the mistake of having another, producing another desperately needy member of society who our system can no longer support, well, I mean, I'm telling you, you start, starting. You're starting. Or, or you watch entertainment. It's really different than Andy Griffith's show. Gunsmoke. We used to watch the Ed Sullivan Show Mm -hmm. when I was a kid. Topo Gigio, remember the little... Today you got, uh, I was watching Lisa Marie Presley on American Idol. The goth culture, I mean, it was dark. She was dark. Musicians were dark. The lighting was dark. The words were dark, somber. Occultic, demonic You watch Lady Gaga She's a creative genius I'm not denigrating her talent It's not just a cuss word now and then Even country western songs have those It's demonic It's just totally different You have this gal I think her name is Nicki Minaj She was on the country western awards show It was a crazy demonic occultic scenario she created. Who was un They had a celebration of the Queen's sixtieth Jubilee anniversary, just said? And the entertainers who began, one was Will I Am and then this gal, this British gal is quite popular. Here's her song, The Queen Queen she's singing to. I feel sexy, in front of Buckingham Palace, the queen. It's it's different. You have a tendency, if you're not watching it, to say, I don't know. So what? It's just words. Everyone's having a good time. Are you ready to party? She says. Are you ready to party? I thought it was a celebration. Queen's 60th, not ready to party. But, but why not? Why can't people gather together? Have, you find yourself doing these things. Preachers, and teachers, we've got to stop talking about certain things lest we be accused of hate crimes. Did you know this? Do you believe it when the Bible says fathers, you hate your child if you, if you don't discipline them, if you don't spank them? Bible, I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially what it says. It's another figure of speech. You don't actually hate your child, but that's get your attention. It's as if you hate your child if you don't apply the rod. But if you apply the rod in Walmart and somebody sees you, you could be arrested on uh, child abuse charges. Do you know that? So you have a tendency to say, eh, maybe this spanking thing. Eh, let me just talk. Let me just talk to this five, six-year-old who's without bounds. Let's reason together. Like uh, who, said, who came up with this, Dr. Spock, years ago, and then admitted he created a generation of unrestrained people. So here's the deal. As an in-betweener, you and I are in trouble because the Lord says you only have two options. You can pray or you can become weak. It says right there, I didn't make it up. He's going to teach him a parable about prayer, lest you become weak. Your Bible may say faint. Those are the options. That's it. The Lord is saying, unless you invest in praying as an in-betweener now, in light of my second coming. Yeah, for it. Yeah, but not just for it. In light of it. Unless you order your priorities, your convictions, your values, your life here in light of my soon return, then the only other option is to give in, to faint, to become weakened by the prevailing godlessness, immorality, and all the rest of the day. The Lord is saying, he's really saying there's not six options, there's two. You either pray in light of my second coming, or you don't, and if you don't, he's talking to his disciples, you identified that. If you don't, my disciples, you're going to faint. You're going to grow weak. So that's the issue. Clear. But here's the problem. What's going to keep us praying? I pray in spurts, and so do you. I pray before I eat. (laughs) I pray when something hurts me. I pray when I want something. I pray in spurts. So do you. What is going to keep me going? In prayer, the parable will tell us. So that's the reason for the parable right here. And here's how it begins, verse 2. In a certain city, does your Bible name the city? Neither does mine. Why? Remember, it's a parable. It's not a specific city. It doesn't matter. Call it what you want. It's a parable. It's a certain, it doesn't matter. In a certain city... Uh, There was a judge. A judge is a duly appointed governmental official. There was a judge. Here's what he was like. He did not fear God, and he did not respect man. Wow, what a stretch to imagine a governmental official who doesn't fear God. Wow. Boy, the Bible is irrelevant. (laughs) Here's a governmental official who, in, vertically, is. Hey, Jeannie. You don't have to yell. I promise. I, I meant to give it back. I really, seriously. I stopped stealing hubcaps and watches. <laughs> can I keep it? Because Sue. You no, no. Sue's birthday's coming up. I need. It's really. That's what I meant. No I'm kidding. <laughs> I'll give it to you tomorrow if I feel like it. I know that's why you came. I know that's why she came back. <clears throat> so, uh, if a government official is not right vertically, he, he or she cannot be right horizontally, So it works. This government official did not fear God and as a result had no respect for the citizenry he was supposed to serve. Do you know some of the most wonderful legislation uh, advanced in the world has been advanced by born-again evangelical Christians? For instance, child labor laws in England during the Industrial Revolution. William Wilberforce, an evangelical Christian, was behind that. Why? Wilberforce was right this way, therefore he's right this way. But if 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 a leader, a national leader, anybody, is off this way, it's no wonder his or her policies are gonna not be in the best interest of the constituency. That's the way it works. So read into it what you want. Uh, Anyway, this is the judge. Now, what is he supposed to do, this government? He's supposed to apply the law, God's law, and the law of the land to people's needs. He's to adjudicate their grievances, issues, cases through an application of law. How did he do it? In those days, the Lord's Day, there wasn't so much a building like Supreme Court that you go to for this kind of decision-making. They were traveling judges. S- they rode a circuit, and they would take with them a tent, if you will, set up shop in a different locale. Their assistants would erect the tent. The judge would be seated on the inside on a regal chair, communicating his authority. People in the area would form a long line, hoping that they'll get a hearing with regard to their issue with the judge. But there was no guarantee that your case would be heard. But people figured this out pretty quickly. I can increase the probability of my case being heard by offering a financial incentive. So the judge's assistants would travel around, just making conversations. And if you reached into your pocket and pulled out a crumpled up, well, they didn't have 20s, shekels, (laughs) and put it in the judge's assistant hand, he could go into the judge and you stand a better chance of getting your case hurt. you get moved to the front of the line that's how it worked often Uh, that being the backdrop look what happens next verse 3, there was a widow wow rough in any day nobody wants to be part of that exclusive club painful, hurtful Pretty excruciating in that day, why? No social service system, no death benefits, no insurance, no, no nothing, nothing. Uh, in fact, the, the widow would have no standing in a court of law. Her standing was only attributable to her husband who would stand with her, but he's not there to stand with her. Therefore, she's stripped of any access to adjudication in a situation like this by the judge. She doesn't have any standing, she's a widow. She has no money. Why? Why don't she get a job? She can't. Women were not allowed to do this in that day. You couldn't. Why don't you just get an education, and learn a trade? Because they weren't permitted to. They had no standing in courts of law, generally speaking. You don't go to school, you don't act independently. You don't, you don't get it. So she's a widow. And she's a woman. Even if she wanted to bribe the judge's assistant so as to have standing with him, she wouldn't have the financial wherewithal to do it. She's in trouble. And so it says she kept coming to him, saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. She's asking for what everyone is asking for. We don't know the nature of the grievance. Once again, it's not important. She's up against something. She thinks she's unfairly treated. She's saying to him, give me legal protection. That's his job. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about the highest authority, God. He thinks his authority is above God's, and he doesn't care about her. But she's coming all the time. She's not giving up. So it says in verse 4, for a while, he was unwilling. He didn't care. But afterward, he said to himself, this is stuff you don't admit. He, he said it to himself. Even though I don't fear God, nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me. I will give her legal protection, otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. See that phrase, wear me out? It's an idiom in the original language. It means she'll give me a black eye. What does that mean? She's going to leave a, an impression on me that's going to attract attention. It doesn't mean that she'll literally sock, sock me in the eye. She'll leave an impression that will cause people to give me attention. They'll say, hey, you're an elected official. Why don't you hear this lady's case? He said, I don't need this attention. So finally, I'm going to give in. So here's the deal. He doesn't care about God, and as a result, he doesn't care about life, people. He doesn't care about the widow. He has no respect for God nor her. (coughs) However, she's using a weapon he cannot withstand, persistence. She's got nothing. She doesn't have the right gender. She doesn't have the right marital status. She doesn't have the right bank account. But she has persistence. On that basis, he responds, you see, to her need. Now, lest we make the wrong application from this parable, the Lord does it for us in the next verses, six. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, will not God bring about justice for his, does your Bible say elect? I was afraid it would. Because now we have to talk about that just for a second. Uh, there are lively discussions amongst Christians about things called election or free will. Have you been on any of those? Yeah. They're dividing churches like crazy today. Almost a week doesn't go by, but that someone doesn't say to me, Stuart, are you a Calvinist or, or an Arminian? This happens all the time. So, I'm not going to go into great detail, but it says elect, so I've got to tell you, what is the elect? The elect are a special people in the world who've heard God's call and have responded to it. Makes them God's people. Makes them God's chosen people. The elect are God's chosen people who have chosen to accept his offer. Now, I couch those words really carefully because you can see I did not reveal my position. <laughs> Which camp? Both the elect are god's chosen who have chosen to accept his offer. So here's the trouble in those two camps. They want to both sides want to force you into one or the other. Big mistake. So I refuse to tell people am I a calvinist or an arminian? Crazy. I say let's just discuss the issues. So here's the issue. I grew up in America. I've heard of Jesus long before I was redeemed by him. It's no surprise. There's churches all over the place. There's crosses. Billy Graham's on TV. Nobody had to give me information about Jesus. I'm in the military, and a friend uh, shares the gospel with me. And then a few days later, September 5, 1973, in a barracks room, I asked him to come into my life, forgive my sins, be my Savior and Lord, take control. Why? What my friend shared me was not profound, new, no tricks of the trade. Why is it that suddenly that message, which has been oft repeated in America, why is it suddenly that the penny dropped, so to speak, and I was marvelously ushered into the kingdom? Here's the answer. I don't have a clue. I don't know how I got saved. Pretty interesting thing for a minister to say, huh? No, no, I understand salvation, I just don't know how it got saved. Why on that day did everything make sense? No questions asked, no argumentation. I didn't need anything, why? I'll tell you why, how? Because God saved me. But does that mean I didn't respond? I didn't say that. He saved me, I had to respond to what he was doing. How do they both fit together? Which is it? I have no idea. But the difference between me and others is I'm really comfortable not having answers. Here's my answer. In the mind of God, what I cannot harmonize in my mind, he can. Wow, he's great. Because I cannot fully comprehend him, I worship him. I don't worship you. I can generally understand you. You can understand me. We don't worship each other. How does God move two things together that seem to be unharmonizable and build them both into the system. How does he say I'm the elect? Which seems to indicate he chose me. And in other places require of me that I respond to him. I have no idea how to bring those together. Again, the difference is, don't, I don't want to be in a camp. I'm not a Calvinist or a Midian, I'm a Christian. Every day finding out, I know less and less of the magnificence of the God who saved me. And I'm fine just being like a little kid. Having All eternity. To bask in the sunlight of the unmasked glory of deity, who I cannot fathom entirely now. So, whether you like it or not, if you're a saved person, you're elect. It says right there, that's the word. So, anyway, it says, um, Will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night, and will he delay long over them? So, here's the application. The Lord is saying this. If an unrighteous, ungodly, uncaring, human government official finally gives in to a marginalized, disenfranchised widow with no rights or privileges, if he finally gives in based on her persistence, don't you think how much more will your father hear from you, care for you, Answer your requests. Meet your needs in due season just because you're his kid. So it's an argument from the lesser to the greater. If the lesser is true, then how much more the greater? If this is true of the widow and the judge, that he who cares nothing for her gave in because of her persistence, though she had no societal rights, if that, how much more God, who you are privileged to call Abba, Father. How much more will he respond to you, an in-betweener, one day vindicating your cause? How much more? That's the parable. Now, here's the deal. Hang on, let me look at Jeannie's watch. How do you, you got even? Well, you got 12 o'clock? Thank you, Brenda, because I don't think I'm holding this up right. <laughs> so, listen, you can make a mistake. This is not a parable of comparison. It's a parable of contrast. Here's what I mean. If you make it a parable of comparison, in other words, you compare what happened in the story with God, you're gonna be forced with this conclusion. The only way you can get God's attention is that you keep nagging him persistently with prayer. You give him a black eye. That's not the message. It's not a parable of comparison. It's a parable of contrast. It's saying this. If an ungodly, uncaring government official will finally pay attention to a a poor woman's need merely because she won't stop asking him, how much more will your father, uh, who looks to you as his beloved children, how much more will he listen to you just when you ask him? Let me ask you a question. If you are a parent or a grandparent, what does it take for your child or grandchild to get your attention? How about a little whimper? They don't even have to articulate words in a coherent way. How about a little teardrop? You even respond to nonverbals. Are you better than God? So therefore, this notion, I have to twist God's arm, I have to pressure him into giving me what I need and want, that is the wrong conclusion from the parable. Many Christians are doing that. That's the wrong application. No! It's not a parable of comparison. It's a parable of contrast, God being contrasted with the judge. The judge delayed, and God delays. But the judge delayed out of indifference and apathy. But God never delays that way. In fact, God never delays. We just think he does.
1: God is always right on
0: time in delivering the goods. The problem is our time reckoning is different than his. Don't compare him to the judge. He's contrasted. And don't compare yourself to the widow. The widow had to stand in line. She had to think up some means to get the judge's attention so that he would hear her cause. But the last time I read the Bible, Jesus said, Come to me. He didn't say, Take a number. (laughs) Come to me, all who are married, all who are rich, all who are of a certain skin color, all who are of a certain gender. Oh, no. He said, Come to me, all who are weary. And heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Uh, The Lord cannot be compared to the judge. And you can't be compared to the widow. That's the point. If all that took place. The judge being who he is. The widow being who she is. Here's the incentive for us to continue to pray. During the in between period. Do you know who God is? He's your father. And even before you have verbalized something on your heart. He reads your heart. Second. You're royalty. You've been elevated. You're not a marginalized, disenfranchised person. You're his kid. These are the incentives for continuing to pray no matter what. So here's the deal. Our problem is we may stop being prayerful and cave in. We can get cynical. We can get angry. There are many discussions today about whether Christians ever are justified in revolting against the government. Do you know there are increasing discussions along those lines? What is is the biblical uh, guideline for civil disobedience? When when can you burn down an abortion clinic? Can you take the life of of an abortionist who's taking the lives of others? I must tell you there are these discussions and uh, the answers aren't easy, but I will tell you this is really, really easy. God said the distinctively Christian, for sure, response to what's going on between his first and second coming is that we pray. There's no debate about that. So why are we getting so lathered up about all kinds of other possibilities and distracted from what God says? If you don't pray, you'll grow weak. Why don't you pray? But praying here is not just, here's my list of requests. Give me this, give me that. No, no, no. Prayer is that communion that enhances an appreciation of our connectedness to God. Prayer is what happens when you see Lady Gaga on TV. and You say, man, she's creative, but man, she is demon-possessed or something. And you get angry, and you say, I can't believe they put them And then you say, oh, God, but for your grace, if you didn't save me, what in the world would I be into? Won't God? Why not save her? You say, oh, God, there's darkness. Why not show her light? Oh, God, would you grant her repentance? She doesn't deserve it. Did I? Mm -hmm. Do you? God, aren't you the Savior? Isn't it your desire for none to perish? Don't let her. Oh, God, why don't you fill her with your spirit and use her talents in the way that glorifies you? How about that? Do you know the Bible says we are to pray for kings and all in positions of authority? Did you know that? It doesn't say pray that they be reelected. You vote for who you want to. That's not the deal. That's freedom of you know, do what you want to do. But here's the deal. Well, but how can I pray for a governmental person I do not like? All the more. See, that text says pray for kings and all who are in authority. Listen that we may continue to live a godly life in all dignity. You pray, oh God, even though this person does not know you, is not living by your ways, you can still use this person to initiate legislation and so on that allows us an ongoing freedom to preach Christ publicly, to worship him publicly, without fear of being criminalized. That's how we pray. Otherwise you can get real upset. So upset that we don't look much like salt and light. We don't look like much like we're filled with the, yeah. the spirit who gives us joy and peace. We don't look much like we believe God's on the throne. We think we have to take charge. People have said to me, Stuart, do you realize what day we're living in? We've got to do something. What are we going to do? Well, well, Luke 18, to 8 tells us what to do. Pray, pray, in light of the Lord's second coming. Does it mean pray for his second coming? Yeah, but, but but not just that. It's in light of his second coming. Since Jesus is coming again, you are mindful of your values, your priorities, your convictions, your accountability to him. And it keeps you from weakening, giving in, compromising, diluting our standards. So, so the problem is ours, though we think the problem is his, because we sometimes respectfully say, God, what's taking you so long? Don't you know what's going on? All these bad guys are on the throne. Why don't you just deal with them, smack them around? What are you delaying for? We think the problem is God's. No, the problem is ours. And he turns it back on us in the final verse, verse 8. Here's where it says. I tell you that he will bring justice for them quickly. God's people will, will be vindicated quickly. Not as we reckon it, as he does. Remember, this was written 2,000 years ago. For the Lord, apparently, that's still not violating quickly. It is for us, but not for him. He said, take care, I'm going to take care of things. However, when, not if, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, the context means this. Not faith in a general sense, will he find his people manifesting their confidence in him and his return to such extent that they're continuing to pray? Or will he find that his people gave up, caved in, put their head in the sand, moved to another country? Or will he find people whose faith is evidenced by the fact that they're praying in light of his return? Will he find faith on the earth? That's the deal. So I just found out the problem's not out there. The problem's here. Am I going to quench your spirit, allow your spirit to be quenched in me by, 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 by being distracted from sheer and utter dependence on you by the headlines? Or am I going to turn the headlines into prayer and praise prompters? I want you to find me praying, Lord Jesus, when you come back. Communion. Contact. Connection. Not praying in spurts. Thank you for the food. Really cool. Thank you for the air conditioning. (laughs) It's really praying about all things in light of the Lord's soon return. An in-betweener is given this strategy. And by the way, every other strategy. Overcome the government, overthrow the government, uh, make signs and be in a march protest, uh, burn down an abortion clinic, whatever. All these things are not distinctively the strategies of Christians. Anyone could use those strategies. Here is the one distinctively Christian approach to life. Pray. That's it. And you tell me why we're ready to do everything but. So you see the earthly story has a real, real heavenly meaning. If you don't give yourself to praying in light of the Lord's return, when all things crooked will be straightened out, if you're not praying in those terms, you're going to grow weak. You're going to faint. Don't do it. Pray. Lord Jesus We'll pray right now, admitting we're not so good at it. We should be better. We're way out of shape. We would rather think than pray. We'd rather argue than pray. We'd rather be bitter than pray. We'd rather vote than pray. Voting is good. Anyone could vote. The Christian can pray. Lord Jesus, please make it to be our focus. It's romance with you. It's not a list of mechanical petitions. No. It's conversation. It's communion. Come to me. It's not a class. It's not a building. It's a relationship. All who are weary and heavy. What bothers us? You say, come to me. Don't wait online. Come to the head of the line. I'll send you away with rest. Come again when there's unrest. Keep coming. Keep coming, for I have tented amongst you. I am Emmanuel. Oh, God, why do we ignore you? Christians! And then are angry when non-Christians do. Oh, God, help us to be a distinctively set-apart, elect people who make use of this option, prayer, rather than fainting and becoming weak. Strengthen us. the course of communion with you this we pray in jesus name amen well god bless you folks oh sorry one one announcement as we're going through this transition of the um, uh, team that helps to uh, tear down and clean up in here if you would please see me Um, i'm going to kind of walk you through where everything is